Lord, thanks that you rule over all things. That heaven, that nature, that things in time, our plans, our schedules, that you oversee it all. Lord, help us to rest in the fact that you sovereignly reign, that we don't have to worry that we miss that or miss, miss this. Um, keep us on track to accomplish the things we need to, Lord, and be doing the things we're supposed to when we're supposed to be doing them. But help us to do that in the rest and in the strength that you provide. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, uh, open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to see the things, to know the things that you want us to see and to know. In Jesus' name, amen. I should say this. This has nothing to do with the teaching either, but Kathy and I were in Minneapolis last weekend at a conference called Sex and the Glory of God. It was a great conference, and the emphasis, all jokes aside, was on the glory of God part. But uh, there was a panel discussion Saturday night in which a question, it was about, we're talking about sex and God and his glory and where do singles fit into all this? And so they were kind of addressing that issue, singles. And John Piper said something like, well, he thought maybe singles, actually he's the term, were more human because in their suffering of not being married, those who wanted to be, they would appropriate more of Christ in such a way that, uh, that maybe someone who is married wouldn't. And they talked about that sex in marriage was kind of this vehicle for Christians to gain some concept of the reality and the intimacy of a relationship with Christ. It wasn't sex per se with God, but it was a vehicle to gain some understanding or insights into intimacy, the depth of the relationship with God. So they're talking about this and and uh, Al Mohler, and they're focusing on singles. Al Mohler, the head of the Southern Baptist Seminary, you can just see he's agitated in his seat. And uh, Piper said, okay, Al, what do you have to say? And Al says, uh, nothing against singles. Uh, uh, he says, marriage is the norm. Marriage is the norm. And he said, and I think that, uh, oh, he said, uh, there are millions of young women, young Christian women in this nation praying for husbands. And I think these young Christian men need to grow up and become men and get married. <laughs> that comment drew more applause and more laughter than anything else in the conference. And it was all those single gals from their church, Bethlehem Baptist, out there. It was hilarious. Anyway, what does that have to do with John 6? Which is where we're at. John 6, we cracked John 6 two weeks ago. And we walked with Jesus in these crowds, you remember, up on kind of the northeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And the day's kind of wearing down, and there's at least 5,000 men, and there's other, there's women, and there's children, and they have nothing to eat. And Jesus decides to feed them. And so he takes the lunch of a little boy, some bread, some cheap bread, some barley bread, and a few little fish, probably salted fish, and he multiplies it miraculously, and he feeds the 5,000 plus, and they pick up 12 baskets full of leftovers. And we talked about God's generosity in giving. He's not stingy. They were filled. They all had their fill, and there was some left over. And it's at the end of that miracle we jump in this morning here at John. Where, this is a short passage, John 16, 
through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. When therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. It's a short story. Let me reiterate. The disciples leave Jesus in their boat to cross the lake. A storm comes up, buffets their boat. Jesus walks across the water. They respond in fear, but then receive him into the boat. That's the story. We're going to talk about five things from this story. The first is, sometimes troubles follow miracles. Sometimes troubles follow miracles. These disciples remember what they've just seen and just been a part of. They've been listening to their master, this person they revere and worship. They've been listening to him teach, and then they've seen him take this little lunch and feed thousands, 10, 15,000 people. They've kind, of, they've kind of been there on the mountain on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. They've had a mountaintop experience, so to speak, and they've seen the miracle. And now... In fact, I'm going to weave Matthew 14 in here just a little bit too, which is a parallel account of the same story. Matthew 14, 22 says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. John just says they got in the boat. Matthew tells us Jesus made them get in the boat. Jesus sends them, in Matthew's words, Jesus sends them from this mountaintop miracle experience into a storm. You know, if you and I, if we experience some upside of life, you know, you kind of bask in the glow for a while and you kind of want to hold on to it for a while. Well, they go from the miracle and the full tummies and seeing Jesus provide for the multitudes. He sends them in the boat on the lake without him to cross to Capernaum and he sends them into a storm. John says here, the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Jesus sends them into a storm. There's a proverb that says, God, when he blesses, he adds no sorrow to it. He gives you a good gift and he adds no sorrow to it. And there are times when he's feeding the multitude and he gives us these mountaintop experiences where we see him work, we see him perform on our behalf, whatever that might look like, and we're glad. And it's a great thing and we're happy, we're rejoicing. And when we're in those times, we should rejoice and give thanks and appreciate it. And then as the day changes, or the week changes, or as we leave the basking of Sunday afternoon and Monday morning starts, the upside of the miracle or the mountaintop, it may not carry through. Enjoy it while it's there, but don't count on that following through from Sunday to Monday morning or from the mountaintop to the lake, as it were. Because sometimes it's trouble that comes after miracles. Sometimes it's difficulties that come after times of rich provision. We don't know what a day is going to bring. It could feel good or it could feel bad. We don't know. When we're getting the good, what feels good, enjoy it and give thanks. But don't assume 
in a world cursed by sin and death that that's the norm. Because it's not. And Jesus has just fed his friends, these 12 guys, and he sends them into a what will become a storm-tossed sea. Sometimes troubles follow miracles. The second point I want to make, though, here is that the disciples will see Jesus and his power in a way they had not seen before. Now remember, these guys have seen Jesus do miracles, haven't they? Because he's healed, and he's turned water into wine, and he's turned a little boy's lunch into the, a meal for a multitude. But they haven't seen this. John 6, 18 and 19, the sea began to be stirred up because the wind was strong and blowing, and when therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. Matthew 14 says, In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they hadn't seen this before. In the midst of their trouble, now these are sailors, I don't know how frightened they are, if at all, at this point. But they're just in a difficulty. The sea is not working with them. They're rowing against the wind. And the Sea of Galilee is known, it's a given, storms often rise quite quickly across the Sea of Galilee. And you remember, physically, it's in a depression. That whole valley is down below. The weather can be quite fickle. So they start out, probably look fine, but before they know it, they are battling very strong winds. And while they're there, and it's night, they see Jesus walking across the water. They've seen the other miracles, but here they see Jesus in a way they've not seen him before. He is overcoming the wind and the waves. He's defying gravity. He's walking across the top of the water. So in the midst of their troubles, when Jesus comes to them, they see him and they see his power in a manner in which they had not witnessed it before. The very circumstance that they are in provides an opportunity to see Christ in a way they had not seen him before. For you and I, typically and unfortunately, we tend to learn the most when we feel most needy. We tend to learn the most, or most quickly, when we feel the most needy. Or not when times are good, but when times are bad or troubled. When we're in trials, not when we're on the mountain time, mountaintop with the meal being fed to us. There's a great book on spiritual growth called Green Letters or Principles of Spiritual Growth. And a guy named J.B. Stoney says this, The soul never imbibes the truth in living power, but as it requires it. As it requires it. He says the true value of anything is, no, is known only when it is wanted. You know, if you're starving, boy, do you appreciate one meal or a scrap of bread. My dad used to say to me, my dad who was a POW in Germany for a year and a half and went from 180 pounds to about 130, would tell us at the table when we turned our nose up at dinner, he'd say, I hope you get hungry enough so that you'll eat anything that's set before you. In other words, I hope you feel enough need that you appreciate what you have. It was need that would make you appreciate a rutabaga or whatever they got in prison. 
Darby said this, John Nelson Darby said this, he, Christ, makes himself known to us through our needs. Necessity finds him out. Necessity finds him out. Typically, it's during trials that we lay hold of Christ or learn more about him in ways we don't during the mountaintop times or during the feast times. It's normally during the famine times or the storm times, the adverse winds of life times, that we actually lay hold of Christ in ways we typically do not during the better times. We can say this, remember Jesus sent these guys out into the stormy sea. The Lord causes and he allows stormy nights, trials, temptations, so that he can satisfy us with more of himself, with more of himself. We oftentimes fixate on the meal he gave us instead of him. Or we often fix our joy or or our delight on the gift he gives us instead of the giver. Now, he doesn't send us trials or adverse winds as these guys got because he's mean or because he's vengeful. These are his friends. But he wants to satisfy them with more of himself, not another meal. Later in John 6, we'll see lots of people who follow Jesus, not because he's Jesus, but for another meal. He doesn't want his disciples to be satisfied with another meal. He wants them to want him. Jesus revealed himself to his disciples in a way they had never seen before in the midst of the storm-tossed sea. Uh, The third point I want to make here is that Jesus reserves some knowledge only for those who are his intimates, his close acquaintances. Remember, back on the shore, Jesus reveals his power to 5, 10, 15,000 people when he multiplies the food. But it was only 12 who saw him walking on the water. It was only 12. It wasn't 10 or 15,000. Jesus often reveals his most intimate communications, his most intimate revelation of himself to those he calls his friends, in this case to the 12 disciples. There's another story. This isn't related to this one particularly, but it's similar in that in Luke 5, Jesus might be in this boat, Peter's boat. We don't know if this is Peter's boat, but could be. In Luke 5, Jesus sits in Peter's boat right off the shore, and he's teaching the crowd, the multitude. And when he's done teaching, he tells Peter, put the boat out in the water and let down your net for a catch. Now, he does this because he knows he has not reached Peter the way he wants to. Peter's a fisherman, and Peter knows better. This isn't the time or the place to be catching fish. And he tells the Lord that nicely. But then he says, but I'll do it anyway, since you asked me to. So he does. They row out, they put the net down, and then they start to pull it up. And what happens? Well, the net is so full of fish that the net is breaking. The net is so heavy with fish, they can't pull it in. So they call for John and his boat, and they come over. And the catch is so voluminous that it's sinking two ships. Well, guess what? Now Jesus has Peter's attention. Seriously, he spoke to the crowd, the multitudes, but he knows he hasn't reached Pete. 
and he wants Pete's heart. And so he performs this miracle. He reveals himself to, in, to Peter in a way Peter had not seen before. And Peter suddenly is struck. Peter sees Christ in a way he hadn't seen him before. And what does he do? He falls down on his knees and he says, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. See, now Jesus got his attention. Now he got his heart. And then he says, hey, don't worry. You're going to be catching men from now on. Well, for these disciples, Jesus chose to reveal himself as the master of the wind and the waves in a way that no one else got to see. They see Jesus in a way that none of the rest of the multitude got to. He reveals himself most intimately, most powerfully to his intimates, not to the crowds. And by the way, he wants to reveal himself powerfully and intimately to those who know him. <clears throat> he doesn't withhold himself. And this is why sometimes he causes or he allows those times of trials, those buffeting winds, those deep valleys, those tall mountains, because he wants us to need him. He wants us to cry out with Pete to him because suddenly we've seen him in a way we've not seen him before. Jesus reveals himself more fully, most fully, to his intimates in John 6 as to his disciples. <clears throat> the fourth point is the disciples are initially terrified by Jesus' appearance, but he quiets their hearts and fears with a simple phrase. John 6, 19 and 20, they behold Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. And he said to them, it's me, it is I, don't be afraid. Matthew 14, 26 and 7, the disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were frightened. They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. It's me, don't be afraid. Kids, have you ever been at home and the lights are out? Maybe it's bedtime and the lights are out and you can't see and you hear something, bump, and you wonder who or what that thing is. Is it the boogeyman? And then you hear one of your brothers or sisters or your mom or dad, they say, hey, it's just me. And you were frightened. And then you go, oh, okay, I'm okay. Or a parent, if you've lost a child in a store, and you have this moment of frantic panic and your heart is thumping and you walk down and then all of a sudden you see them in the aisle and you go from terror to, oh, there they are. You know, these situations where you feel this panic, this dread, this terror, and all it takes is one view that there's my child, it's okay, or one call it's just me. Don't be afraid. That's what Jesus does here. They're terrified. They are petrified, mortified. They see this apparition walking across a sea. They're having difficulty rowing across. And they're frightened. These are grown men, and they're terrified. And all Jesus has to say is, it's me. Don't be afraid. It's me, guys, just me. Or it's, it is me. Don't be afraid. That's all it takes. And then what does John say? 
It says, uh, yeah, sorry, I can't It says they received him into the boat. They weren't, maybe they lifted their oars, you know, maybe they're ready to thwack the apparition. <laughs> but he says, hey, it's me. And he says, oh, okay. <laughs> well, come on board then. The Matthew 14 passage actually includes the section in which Peter says, well, Lord, if it's really you, let me walk out on that water with you. And he does. And he does. It is really Jesus. And I love this. People often criticize Pete because he sinks, of course. He sees the wind and the waves. This is a fisherman. This is a salty old dude who's used to these kinds of waters. But now he's not in the boat. He's on the water. And when he looks away, he starts sinking. But hey, he walked on the water. I'll give him credit. That's more than I would have done and probably more than most of us would have done. But in Peter's case, in a sense, it not only overcomes the fear to allow Jesus into the boat, but in Peter's case, it's the fearlessness, at least temporarily, to get out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. And I I love even when Peter says, save me. You know, Jesus says, hey, why'd you doubt? I'm right here. I'm right here. I was in Montana one winter, and uh, I had this near-death experience. And I was driving up this deep snow up a mountain road, and there was a very deep chasm down on my right. And I had been mechanicking on my own truck. And that was not a good thing. <laughs> and I had uh, messed up a tie rod end, and I had a piece of wire holding it in. And in this deep snow, yeah, Joe knows, <laughs> Joe knows, yep. In this deep snow going up, this is at night, going up a mountain road with a steep chasm on my left, my wire breaks, Joe, and my wheel goes like this, and it pulls my truck over the side of the mountain. And I knew I was dying. I knew I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down to the bottom of this chasm, crash, and this is going to burst into flames, and I'm dead. And I knew my life flashed before me in a moment. And I said exactly what Pete said. I said, Lord, save me. (laughs) And I went down about 10 feet and I hit a logging road that I didn't even know was there. And I stopped. (laughs) And that was it. I felt just like Peter here. Lord, that's all I could say. That's all that came out. And I said it verbally. I didn't, it wasn't a silent prayer. Lord, save me. That's what Pete did. And that's the disciples. They are terrified when they see Jesus initially. They don't like what they see. You know, sometimes the way in which Christ manifests himself to you and I may not be winsome. It may initially appear terrifying. And you know, when New Testament saints or Old Testament saints see Christ in glory... It is a terror. They can't stand up. They fall down on their face. Christ enables us to stand in his presence and will enable us to stand in his presence. But his appearance can be a terror. And to the disciples in the boat, he looks like an apparition. They're not sure what to think. All it takes, though, is his voice saying, Fellas, it's me. Don't be afraid. And then the terror's over. And then it's okay again. And they know it's not the boogeyman. It's Jesus and they're okay. And they let him into the boat. I would suggest to, to you and to myself that when you're in trouble, 
And when you're praying, you look for the Lord. You look to hear those words where he says, hey, it's okay. It's me. Don't be afraid. The fifth point is Jesus is recognized and received, and then the trouble is over. Listen to verse 21. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. <clears throat> Some think this is another miracle. I do too. In other words, they're in the midst of the sea. If this is the top of the lake, and they're, this is, they're going from northeast to northwest, and they're going across, maybe they're halfway across, maybe they're two-thirds of the way across, but they're in the midst of the churning, wave-tossed sea. But as soon as Jesus gets on board, it says they're at land. This appears to be another miracle of transportation. That as soon as Jesus got in their boat, they're there. The trouble is over. They're in trouble. They're in troubled waters, stormy seas. They see Jesus. They're frightened. He says, it's me. Don't worry. They let him into the boat, and the trouble's over. And can I suggest that oftentimes for you and I, God is causing or he's allowing the storm-tossed seas that come into your life and mine, the deep valleys, the tall mountains, whatever feels like the trial or the difficulty, he's allowing it <clears throat> so that we'll see him and receive him. Now, I want to be careful when I say this. You guys know this, even if I don't say it. When I see Christ in the midst of my trial or trouble and I receive him, it doesn't necessarily mean that I am miraculously transported to the land like these guys were. It doesn't necessarily mean that my trial is over in an instant. It might. It might be. But whether or not the circumstance changes, this is what does change. You and I change. Have you ever had a circumstance where you are full of fear or dread you're full of worry or anxiety, there's some pressing need, there's some situation you're embroiled in, whatever it might be, <clears throat> and you pray to the Lord, and somehow, by God's grace, you understand something to be true that you didn't before. Somehow, by God's grace, you understand that the Lord is going to make it okay, that you, you might lose your house, or you might lose your car, or your health may not be what you thought it would be, or who knows what it is, this or that. But you know in a way you didn't know before that Christ is with you in the turmoil. And you know what? Then it's okay. Then it's okay. Not necessarily that the circumstance is over, but all of a sudden Christ is in the boat with you, and all of a sudden you can say it's okay. Because I'm not by myself in this. I don't have to fight this out by myself. I don't have to row my way across this stormy sea. Christ is in the boat with me, and it's okay. Whatever the storm is, whatever it looks like, and even if he doesn't miraculously move us out of our storm to dry land, he's with us in the boat, and it's okay. That's all the difference in the world. In fact, you and I can go through the storms if Christ is with us, and we can have peace. Uh, Piper mentioned something this weekend. He started his first talk talking about the guys being beheaded in Iraq. And he said he hoped that if it was him, he would be singing praises to God. Thinking of Paul and Silas in prison, I have no doubt. That is, that in the midst of a trial, a beheading kind of a trial, 
that he would lay hold of Christ in such a way that Christ with him in the boat would be the difference between terror and panic and confidence and faith. If you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you read story after story of saints, Christians like you and I, boys and girls, moms and dads, single adults, who knew they were facing being burned at the stake the next day or being tortured in one way or another. And you read these miraculous stories of Christ so strengthening them, so coming to them, that they had absolutely no fear. One great story, these two guys are in prison. They know to be, they're to be burned the next day. One's an old saint, one's a young guy. And it, somehow they're lighting the candle. Well, the young fellow burns his finger on the candle. And he says to the old guy, My heavens! If this little candle flame burns my finger this badly tonight, what am I going to do tomorrow when I'm in the flames? And the old saint says, look, God didn't ask you to burn your finger on that candle. But tomorrow, he'll give you grace in the flames. And he did. They went triumphantly to their deaths in the flames. And that's the thing. That's the thing. It doesn't guarantee that Christ ends the difficulty or ends it the way we want him to. But him in the boat with us, that's what we want. That's what we want. That's what we're after, and that's what they got. They went from trouble to peace. They went from the storm-tossed sea to the shore in a moment, and the only difference was Christ was in the boat with them. Sometimes, just like the disciples, Jesus does take us from high times and he sends us into trouble. He sends us. Sometimes he allows it. Not that he causes it, but he allows us to face troubles and difficulties and circumstances beyond our control. And it can be in a million and one ways, as you know. And he does it so that he can reveal more of himself to us. It's so that he can join with us in those circumstances in a way we, we, we wouldn't have felt the need of without them. He reveals himself to us in our needs, in our storms, when the waves are high. So today, later, or tomorrow, or whenever you're feeling your next storm-tossed wind-driven assault or circumstances that are overwhelming or issues in life you don't have the circumstances to meet, you can say with Peter something simple like, Lord, save me. Or you can do like the disciples did. You can receive him into the boat because that's the bottom line. That's what he's after. That's why he's causing or allowing the trial. Not so that we get beat up. Not so that it's harder for us. He uses the need as a means of us acquiring more of him. Let me close with the words to a well-known song. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. I'm on your side. When times get rough, and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled waters, I will lay me down. When you're down and out, when you're on the street, when evening falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your part 
when darkness comes and pain is all around like a bridge over troubled waters I will lay me down sail on children sail on by your time has come to shine all their dreams are on their way see how they shine when you need a friend I'm sailing right behind like a bridge over troubled waters I will ease your mind like a bridge over troubled waters I will ease your mind. Lord Jesus, I know that you give us the mountaintops and you give us the valleys. You feed the multitudes and you send your friends into storm-tossed seas. Lord, we love you and we need you. And we ask you to take the difficulties in our life and turn them around to our blessing and your glory by helping us to look for you in the waves by helping us to see you in ways we didn't see you during the good times, by, Lord, appropriating more of who and what you are. Lord, help us to cast ourselves with reckless abandon onto you and your goodness and your grace. And, Lord, in our times of trouble, help us to hear your voice saying, It is I. Don't be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen.